0: If you have a Bible with you, please turn to Luke chapter 2. This morning, we get to the story of the shepherds meeting God. I'm going to read from verse 4 in chapter 2. Joseph went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee, where they had been living, to Judea, to Bethlehem, the town of David In a manger, because there was no room for them in the inn. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, don't be afraid. I bring you good news, great joy that will be for all the people. Today, in the town of David, a saviour has been born to you. He is Christ, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly, A great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace to men on whom his favor rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that's happened which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby, who was lying in the manger. When they'd seen him, they spread word concerning what had been told to them about this child, and all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things. And pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they'd heard and seen, which were just as they'd been told. So clearly this is a familiar story. Could I have the next slide, please? We know how it goes. There's baby Jesus in a manger, usually surrounded by gentle farm animals. Excluded here, but no crying he made. Uh, Angels in the sky, lots of. And the promise of world peace. That's Christmas, yeah? And I was uh, having a conversation uh, just recently with a vicar in the city who's been a vicar for 40 years and reckons he's spoken on the Christmas story roughly 10 times a year for 40 years, and he was just about to stand up for something like the 400th time and was saying, I hope I can make it fresh. <laughs> Again, there is a certain familiarity that we have with the story that it's kind of da dee da dee da da baby Jesus. And what I hope this morning is that somehow we can lift ourselves out of that familiarity and see a few things afresh. Now, anyone with a critical mind nowadays can come to this story with some predictable objections. Firstly, that baby Jesus surrounded by the cows and donkeys really represents sort of saccharine sweet nonsense that ranks somewhere alongside Hollywood movies such as Miracle on 34th Street and other kind of jolliness that really is just a distraction from reality something to lighten our spirits and entertain us, and Christmas is for the kids. Just as we talk about other times about the Tooth Fairy and at Christmas about Santa Claus, here's another story to have a bit of fun. That's one uh, objection to the Christmas story as we hear it read. Then the story of angels is another kind of Hollywood escapism, some may feel it just feels so distant from real life the last time i was in a field there were no angels in fact i don't remember being in a field with angels maybe i should spend more time in fields at night that might make or have some sheep maybe there's a trick but no in fact this story feels so distant from real life it's hard to know what we should make of it and then again, of course, 2,000 years after this wonderful promise of world peace, there still is no universal peace. If we read the story more carefully, I believe we can find answers to all of those objections right in the story, which is perhaps not so familiar as all of that. The first thing I'd like to draw our attention to is what Eileen's already touched on, that this was not sweet froth and bubble, but a very harsh reality, a very harsh reality indeed. Not a nice story to be accompanied by mulled wine and mince pies. Jesus' family was dirt poor, dirt poor. We know that because eight days after he was born, when he was taken to the temple to be redeemed from the Lord's possession, they offered the poor people's sacrifice. They couldn't afford the proper sacrifice. They just offered a couple of pigeons. It was all they could afford. They were at the bottom end of the ladder of society. And it was a much poorer society than ours anyway pretty much everybody alive at that time lived a much worse life than any of us already and they were at the bottom end of this society now i read as pretty much every translation in english will tell you that there was no room for them at the inn in fact that the word in greek in the original story can mean an inn But it doesn't only mean that. And Bethlehem was such a a backwater little place, not on any highway, and it would be a bit surprising if there was indeed an inn of any kind in that place. What would have been normal instead is that you were welcomed into people's homes, especially if you had extended family, they would welcome you in. There was a culture of hospitality through that part of the world, and They'd gone to Bethlehem precisely because it's where they found family, where their roots were. And most likely, Mary and Joseph were staying in some way with extended family, just as poor as they were, and without much room. As Eileen said, people lived right up close with animals. Why build another roof when you can have the donkey in with you? because roofs were expensive and donkeys were precious. And in most homes, there was really just the one room in which everybody ate, slept, uh, including the animals. Often there would be some kind of ledge that lifted up a portion of the house so that the animals couldn't just trample through everything, but people lived with animals, and uh, that might all sound quite it's, quite... it's quite kind of cuddly when you see it on a card and you can't smell anything. <laughs> Many of you will have been to Cogs Farm in Whitney. It's a wonderful sort of, sort of farmy kind of place that you can go and visit. I like it. I like wandering around the house. I like wandering around the garden. It's all very nice. There's one bit of it I don't like at all. There's an ox buyer. That's not someone who buys oxes. That's a place where you keep oxes and oxen, even, and uh, it smells bad, and more you can cope with the smell, but as soon as you go in and look across, you can see in the sunlight all the flies that hover around. And I don 't know about you, any of the rest of you who've been there. I come out wanting to shake myself off, and it 's not trying to get rid of the smell. I 'm just wondering if anything's clinging to me still. A few years ago, I had the privilege of going into a Berber household in a village in the Atlas Mountains, and they invited us all in for mint tea, and um, that was all very lovely. We all sat down. But as we went into the room where they received us to drink the mint tea, we went past the doorway into a courtyard where they were keeping their food. The food consisted of about half a cow hung up by its legs that had been there since they killed it and started eating it a while ago, covered in flies. And I thought, I'm glad we're sticking to the mint tea. Maybe some biscuits out of a packet will be fine, but I don't know that my constitution would stand living here. Jesus was born into a dirt-poor family, and his reality was a harsh one in which the people were poor, we can assume often hungry flea bitten lice ridden infected and tired that's what the manger means there were other things in the manger other than straw living, looking for blood It's a harsh reality. And this story, therefore, should, it should encourage us that this story speaks into the harsh realities of our lives. It's not just a little thing to wash over us and cheer us up a bit, but it should connect with whatever we face. Secondly, whereas the story of angels and all this happiness and glow might seem a million miles from our sorts of experiences, the angels do a remarkable thing. They point back towards an everyday reality as the sign of God's presence. There's this amazing angelic visitation. And of course, the Christian faith treats those things with respect. We believe in angels, that God sends angels to bless us. And when I hear stories of people saying they've seen angels, I don't dismiss them out of hand. assume they've dreamt at night after eating too much cheese. But listen carefully, because these are things that God does. But these angels that spoke to the shepherds said, the sign for you will be you'll find a baby. This baby living in the harsh reality. That's your sign. They point back to something that is everyday. The dramatic experiences that God gives us sometimes don't suffice. They're not enough by themselves. God wants us to find him in the everyday of our lives. The story of Christmas could be summarized in the headline that God came into the world. Taking on the complication and the vulnerability of a womb and a manger and then a childhood spent as a refugee. Why would God come into all of that mess? Why? I mean, If he's he's truly powerful, can he not sort out whatever needs to be sorted out just by sending a word from his throne? Why come? Why get involved? Well, the answer of the scriptures is that God did this because he loves us. That's why he did it. He was determined to do people good and you can't serve people properly from up high on a pedestal. I've been in and out of the school that we started in September, Tyndale Community School this term. All of the children began this school year aged four. The tallest is about that big. And when I'm there I, find I spend quite a lot of time crouching down and on my knees in order to talk to them, to connect with them. The chairs are low, and that's helpful too, because you can sit down and get on their level. When you want to connect with people, it's the most natural thing in the world to come down to their level. If you stay standing up, then you will not be such a blessing to them as they talk to your knees and huh, some of you know that my uh, graduate studies were around insects it's not something i ever really intended there was money for it so i spent 3 years studying insect behavior and uh, i discovered some things you can ask me about over coffee if you're really interested and uh, but i was r- realizing recently that actually the significance of insects goes further back in my life to when I realized, I just remembered this recently, that the first time that the penny really dropped for me about what Jesus had done in coming into the world was told to me around a story about insects. I was hearing Billy Graham preach, and he said something, and the penny dropped for me. Maybe it might drop for you in a new way this morning. He said, "Imagine." You're walking along, and you see a nest of ants, and they're in trouble. Whatever the trouble may be, part of their nest has fallen in, or there's some water coming to, to damage them and threaten them. Whatever the problem is, if you were an especially compassionate person, you might stop for a moment and see if you could shift things around to help them, but probably not. In Christ coming to the world, it was rather like God looked down in the same sort of way at our trouble and said, you know what, I need to sort that out. And it's as if I became an ant, limited myself, reduced myself to a tiny little thing in order to get into the system and to sort it out for them. Except, of course, that the reduction involved in me becoming an ant is a mere fraction of what Christ did, being the God who made all things, reducing himself to a little baby. Why do it? The only possible answer is his tremendous, tremendous love for us. The Christian faith does not provide a spirituality that helps us to forget the pain of life. Nor a vision of another world into which we might one day escape. Rather, the message of the Christian faith is that God steps into this world to live with us here. And that means, of course, that he's close by. He's close. Even now, he's here. And I wonder, can you say how he's touched your life? When you think about it, what signs have you seen in your own life that God's close how has he touched you? Have you seen prayers answered? I know that many, many here have. Have you perhaps received some undeserved kindness that left you wondering, where did that come from? Why is that present in my life? Maybe you've been amazed by something in the natural world, whatever it may be, that left you feeling that you'd been given a window on some divine reality. Surveys, even in secular Europe, consistently show that most people pray and most people believe in God. Those same surveys also reveal the biggest reason why people reject belief in God that is the matter of human suffering. That brings us to the last common objection to this Christmas story, that despite the Christmas story, and despite us sometimes being touched by God, after all of that, the promise of world peace has still not come. Suffering remains in the world. And so